Help us to learn from her example. God, ultimately, though, we pray that this would help us to focus our eyes on you, on Jesus Christ. We pray that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue our three-week series. Last week, we talked about John and Betty Stam, talking about different missionaries. And I didn't want to talk about martyrs each week, right? There are plenty of missionaries who have gone to foreign fields and and served and, and given their lives for the gospel quite literally, losing their lives. And I didn't, want, I didn't want for each of our weeks to be talking about a martyr. Well, they're important for us to talk about. It's also important for us to talk about missionaries who have been able to live long lives and have given their long lives in service to God in the, whatever field God has called them to, whatever country. Being a minister of the gospel to that specific people group. And so today we're going to talk about the life of Amy Carmichael. Anybody familiar with Amy Carmichael? Raise your hand if you're familiar with Amy Carmichael. Think you've heard of her? Okay. So a couple people maybe have heard of her. So I was fortunate enough in in school growing up, I went went to a Christian school, and in our curriculum, and actually I believe it was in in like modern history, we talked about missionaries. Um, Or it might have been in the literature class, I don't remember. But we, I remember reading the story as a, as a young boy of Amy Carmichael. And uh, we're going to talk about her a little bit. We'll start off. I, I couldn't find a good video. They were all kind of weird. So I'll be the video talking about her life. And hopefully I won't be as weird as the ones that I watched. Um, but I want to start off with a verse that impacted her deeply. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 12 through 13. And we'll talk a little bit about this and how it impacted her life as I tell her story. But the, the goal today is we're going to, we'll read this verse, we'll tell her story, and then I want to give you three observations that we can find in the life of Amy Carmichael that were based on scriptures that she read and that had impacted her life and how these verses can impact us as well. And we'll be talking about Last week, we talked about faith, right? And this week, we're going to talk about the motive as to why missions is important. The motive, the why for missions. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says this. Actually, that is not, hmm, that is not what I'm looking for. I wrote the wrong passage down. It might be 2 Corinthians. Hang on. No, that's not it either. Hold on. What did I do? One second. Three. First Corinthians chapter three. Sorry. We're allowed to make mistakes every now and then. Verses 12 through 13. Actually, let's look at verse 11. Actually, let's look at verse 10. (laughs) We're good? All right, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. 
for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. These verses stood out to Amy Carmichael. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But Amy Carmichael was a, a young lady who was from Ireland. She was raised in a Christian home. She was the oldest of seven children. At the age of 15, she realized that she needed herself personally to put her faith in Jesus Christ as her Savior. And it was at that moment in her life that she was converted. She put her faith in Jesus, and she became a child of God. As a young teenager, she, she would help a group of poor children that were gathered around her church. You know, this is back in the, the late 1800s. And you, you would have entire, and actually this still is in a lot of places in the world today, you'd have entire colonies of people living together who were just extremely poor. Couldn't provide for themselves. Maybe they were widows. Maybe they, maybe they didn't have uh, the means for a job. But there were just a group of poor people who could never really rise above where they were. So Amy Carmichael, one day on her way home from church, saw this group of poor children. And she stopped by and she was helping them with something. And now Amy Carmichael, at this point, she was from a very, uh, a very affluent family. Her father was a business owner. And they, they, had, they had a lot of money at this point. And she's there helping these young children. And she sees a group of people from her church come by. And the story goes that she hid her head in shame. Because she was seen with this group of poor people. And back then, again, it was not something that would be common for somebody of an upper class to help somebody from the lower class. And Amy Carmichael gives this, te this testimony that at that moment, she heard an audible, an audible voice. Now, whether it was audible out loud or whether it was in her conscience, she doesn't know to this day, but she heard a voice say these, three, or these words, wood, hay, stubble. She turned to look to see who said that to her, and she couldn't see anybody. But she heard the voice say, wood, hay, stubble. As she went home, on her way home, she realized that it was the Holy Spirit that was challenging her motives. Why was it that she was doing what she was doing at that moment? Why was she helping those poor people? It was at that moment that she asked herself this question, will my life count in eternity? From then on, she committed that everything she did would have pro the proper motives. So that when she stood before God, she wouldn't be ashamed. As that verse says, the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Whether it be gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. The day shall declare it. She realized that her motives and her intentions, while she was physically doing the right thing, her motives and her intentions could be wrong. And at that point, if she's doing the right thing, she's just going through the motions, the motions if her motives are not there, the, the proper motives are not there. In her hometown in Ireland, as she's growing up now, between the ages of 15 and 18, there was a group of, of, of poor widow ladies, and they were called the Shawleys. They were called the Shawleys because they were so poor they couldn't afford hats to keep their heads warm. So they would wear their shawls over their heads. Now, I know in some cultures that is kind of like the custom, but this group of people was so poor, these widows, 
They couldn't afford hats, so they kept their shawls over their heads. And they were looked down upon, and most people wanted nothing to do with them. Amy Carmichael made, made it her decision and her work at this time to go and to help this group of widows. I mentioned already they were extremely poor, and she felt that God was calling them to bring in a pastor and to, to build a church, like to literally build a church building, but they had no money. And she, she was determined not to ask anybody for help except for God. And the story goes that she prayed, and, and this group of widows prayed fervently and earnestly that God would provide them a church building or provide them with the funds to build a church building. And that's exactly what God did. He provided the funds to bring, to, to bring in the material and to build a church building. It was around this time that Amy Carmichael's father passed away. She's about 18 years old. She had to dedicate some of her time to then helping her mother with this, her six younger siblings. But she had this calling that she knew God was calling her for something, for something bigger, for something greater. She had a love and a burden for people. <clears throat> so in 1887, she heard Hudson Taylor speak. Remember Hudson Taylor? We talked about him last, last week a little bit. He was the, the founder and director of the, at this time of the China Inland Mission. And she felt at this time that God was calling her to go to missions. She actually went through the process of joining China Inland Missions <clears throat> to be a missionary deep in China, but she was rejected because she had a, a chronic health problem that often left her very weak and very frail. And they told her that the life of rigor as a missionary in China would be too difficult for her. But she was determined that God was calling her. She was determined... <clears throat> that God wanted her to serve as a missionary. So on her own, she traveled to Japan. And she was determined to be a missionary in Japan. After almost two years, she made no progress learning the language. And she faced another episode of her chronic illness. So she traveled first to Sri Lanka to recover, and then she found herself in southern India for a time of recovery. And it's there that God is calling her to be a missionary to India. Would you put the, the first picture up, Kayla? <clears throat> so this is a picture of Amy Carmichael uh, in the early 1900s. Amy Carmichael, at this moment, decides to team up with two missionaries, a husband and a wife named Thomas and Catherine Walker. Amy, very similar to Hudson Taylor. Remember we talked about Hudson Taylor last week. We said that you know, he, he adopted the culture of where he was living and the clothes. Well, she did the same thing. She was determined that she was going to reach the people of India, and she would do whatever it took to do it. She found a small group of Indian Christian women, and they were very nominal in their faith. But it was through Amy Carmichael that, she was able, that they were able to have their faith stirred. And they started going out and evangelizing other Indian women. She adopted the Indian dress of the day. Again, very uncommon for, for missionaries. This one I always found interesting. And today we would actually probably say that it's cultural appropriation and that was wrong. But in order for her to blend in so she wouldn't be seen as a foreigner... She's from Ireland. People from Ireland, 
um, typically don't have as dark skin as people from India, right? And uh, she was very fair. And in order for her to blend in, she would take coffee grounds and rub them on her face. Because as a foreigner in that time, living in, in India, you were actually looked down on and people wanted nothing to do with you. You know, sometimes like missionaries talk today about the fact that they go into other countries and they're seen as an American and people want to come in and hear the American. Well, again, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, oh, look, there's a white person coming into our village. Let's go listen to her or let's go listen to him. That's not how it was. Foreigners were looked down upon. So in order for her to blend in, she would take coffee grounds and rub them on her face to make her skin appear darker. Again, today, probably we would, you know, in our culture, we would probably say, well, how dare she do that? Yet, God used, the, God used this in her life in a great way, and we'll talk about it soon. Another thing, and I remember specifically reading this from when I was a child. When Amy Carmichael was a young girl, like even at three years old, she would often cry because she didn't have blue eyes. Now, for those of us with blue eyes, we understand. Blue eyes are great, right? Like, everybody wants blue eyes. No, she, would, she was a young girl living in Ireland without blue eyes. She had brown eyes, and she really wanted blue eyes. And she would literally spend time as a young child crying. But now, if she had had blue eyes, she wouldn't have been able to blend in as much, right? God had blessed her with brown eyes because God had a specific purpose for her in her life. Her brown eyes helped her to acclimate and assimilate in her new country. It was in the city of Donover where she was ministering. And I probably pronounced that wrong. One day, she's, she's, she's at the mission home. <clears throat> the walkers are with her. She's at this mission home. And this seven-year-old girl, would you go to the, the next slide? This is not a picture of the girl. But <clears throat> this seven-year-old girl came running up to her, running up to the house. And she really didn't know what was going on. And the girl told her that she had just escaped from the local Hindu temple. Part of the practice of the Hindu temple at the time and of the temple worship, these girls were given to the temple priests by their mothers, hoping to earn some favor with God. They would be servants to the priest, and they would end up actually being prostitutes for temple worship. These girls were facing a life of terror, dropped off by their own mothers. Not only was this part of the custom, but it was also big business. And this girl comes running up to her and calls her Ama, which in their language meant mother. And from then on, she went by that name to all the girls that she helped rescue. Amy Carmichael learns a little bit more about the horrors of, this, of these temple worships, and she decides that now her mission is to save as many children as she could. She would personally smuggle them out of the temples, where the brown eyes come in handy. She would personally smuggle them out of temples. She was arrested on several occasions. On one time, she was arrested, and she faced the, the charge of kidnapping. Fortunately, the charges were dropped. But this, what she was doing, angered many around her, and, and it angered the businesses around her, and it angered the religious system around her because it not only was interfering with their, with their 
religious practices. I don't want to use the word worship. They're religious practices, but it was also interfering with business. She wouldn't just rescue them from a life of terror, but she would lead these girls to the love of the Savior. Within three years, there were 17 girls living with Amy. Their own biological mothers had given them away, but they found a new mother who loved them and cared for them in Amy. By the end of the third year, the number of girls had risen to 30. With the help of the walkers, she turned Donovar into a Christian village where young girls could find freedom and refuge. A few years later, Thomas Walker came down with cholera and passed away, and his wife passed away within the same year. And Amy was caring for 140 children. Now she's alone. God continued to bless her ministry, and by 1924, there were 30 nurseries a compound for boys with 70 to 80 boys. And she also had three doctors living on site. In the early 1930s, at 63 years old, the ministry was, was just growing and growing. She was touring a construction site to build one of, the new, one of the new dormitories for the girls. And she fell into a hole that was dug in the wrong spot. She broke her leg, she dislocated her ankle and twisted her spine. And she never fully recovered from this injury. She spent the next 20 years mostly bedridden, getting up occasionally to, to go out and see the garden that had been growing for years outside of her window that fed these children. But this didn't stop her from doing the work. She continued to manage the staff, and the children were welcome to see her whenever they wanted. By the 1940s, there were around 900 children and adults, along with 40 to 50 helpers. Instead of being consumed with self-pity, she said this quote, You must never ask God why. To will what God wills brings peace. During this time, she wrote many books, which were highly influential in the lives of tens of thousands of Christians, including Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know if you're familiar with Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, but they were missionaries God called to go to the Auckinians in South America. And Jim Elliott was famously in the 1950s martyred as the first contact to the Aka Indians. Elizabeth Elliott went back and lived with the Aka Indians for two years, winning many of them to Christ. In 1951, Amy Carmichael went home to be with the Lord. And the Donover Fellowship is what it's called. It continues even today. When faced with the question, how will my life count for eternity? She realized that she needed to serve the Lord with the motive of love. One of her best known sayings was, and, and I know that you've heard it here because I've heard my dad say it. One can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. Elizabeth Elliot later writes a biography about Amy Carmichael. And she wrote this in the, in the biography. She showed me the shape of godliness. And for the next few minutes, we're going to look at three different things from the life of Amy Carmichael and from what she found in Scripture and see what the shape of godliness is. What were her motives for serving? 
And we'll be challenged to display these in our own lives. So the first thing that I I want us to look at today is that Amy Carmichael and we as well should have a life shaped by love for Christ. A life shaped by love for Christ. When writing a biography about Amy Carmichael, Ian Murray says, Closer attachment to Christ is the great message of Amy Carmichael's life. From the time she made the decision that she was going to have the proper motives and she was going to serve God, her goal was to develop a deeper relationship and a deeper love for Christ each and every day. Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The gospel doesn't just come into our lives to justify us. It doesn't just come to to save us from hell and from a life of sin. It comes to bring us into an ever deeper growing relationship and love for Jesus Christ. Nothing will more sustain the soldier of the cross than the love to the captain of their salvation. Nothing will sustain you in your life as a Christian as you go and face the trials and temptations and difficulties that you face as your love for Jesus. Think back with me to Peter. When Peter, Jesus is is on his way to, he's he's currently in, in where we are right now, being tried by the Sanhedrin. Peter standing outside, the Bible says, he's warming his hands by the fire. And the little girl comes up to him and says, you were with him too. I recognize you. And three times, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. We look at Peter as this this man of boldness, a man of action. He portrayed himself as a man of courage. But was it a failure of courage? Was it a failure of boldness? It was a failure of love. How do we know this? Later on, after Jesus rises from the dead, he's having a meal of fish with the disciples by the fire. And he looks at Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Again, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, Do you love me more than these? Jesus says, or Peter answers, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus responds, feed my sheep. And the third time, Jesus looks at Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. We see from this, there's a reason Jesus asks him three times. It's not coincidence. He says, Peter, 
reading between the lines, Peter, I, I, I realize you made a mistake. I realize you failed. I realize your love wasn't there when it should have been, or maybe it wasn't as strong as it should have been. But going forward, Peter, do you love me? Jesus doesn't scold him for not having the right amount of love, does he? He doesn't look at Peter and say, how dare you? He doesn't look at Peter and say, you failed me in my, my time of need. No, he gently reminds Peter, love me. Do you love me? Show you love me. It wasn't a failure of fear. It wasn't because he didn't have the courage or the boldness. It was a collapse of love. Is your life shaped by love for Christ? Is love one of the driving factors behind why you do what you do? Behind why you serve? Or is it because it's something that we're supposed to just check off our list? We talk a lot about, about you know, getting involved in ministry here locally, right? And we, we, have, we had our ministry, I forgot what Pastor Ethan called it, but like our ministry or service Sunday where we pass out the papers like, hey, get involved. We had people sign up to clean, which is amazing. And we had people sign up to be involved in, in children's ministry. And people sign up to be involved in food ministry. And people signed up for all sorts of ministry, but... The challenge is, what is your motive? Why? Is it because there was just a need that needed to be done? Or is it because of your love for Christ? And your love for others? Sometimes we have the, as we sit in the pews and, and we see a, a pastor or a preacher on, on the platform preaching and well, yes, they, I know that they have to do, they have to love people. That's their job, is to love people. We have the same struggle to love people sometimes. Maybe sometimes more than sometimes. And we have to be reminded that while loving the Lord with all our heart is the greatest commandment, but loving others is the second, and it's like, it's just like it. Are we serving behind the motivation of love? So not only is, do we see a life shaped by love for Christ, but we see a life shaped by obedience to Christ. 2 John verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. To love God is to obey him. To serve God is to obey him. To follow his commandments. To rest on the truths found in scripture. This is a little known story of Amy Carmichael, but in the, like the, I think it was in like the 19, like in the teens in that era, in that era. Her work was growing, and she desperately needed help. I mean, she desperately needed help. The, uh, the walkers had just passed away. She didn't have a pastor locally. And, and at this point, it's this women's ministry that she has in this children's ministry. So at one point, another amazing thing about Amy Carmichael, before we, before we move on, she never once, like, 
We have missionaries that raise support today. That was common back then, too. Missionaries went around raising support. Or they would have people raise support for them. Amy Carmichael never went around and raised support. She never did it. She didn't have people go out raising support for her. She prayed that God would meet the needs, and God met the needs. Another interesting fact. Once she got to India, she never left. She spent the rest of her life in India serving these, these children. She saw her mission was too important and valuable for her to leave. So the, the church, uh, what is it? The Church Mission Society, I think is what it's called. Yeah, the Church Missionary Society proposed to send this pastor, Stephen Neal, to assist her. And this would have been significant help to her. I mean, it, she needed help desperately. The village was growing. The work was piling up. But she refused to have him come. She needs help. They're going to send this, this pastor to help. And she says, I don't want him. I don't want him to come here. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Amy Carmichael was absolutely committed to the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. Meaning, the Bible is the very word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And it was during this time, um, this new teaching was arising that said, well, and it came out of Germany, and it said, well, the Bible's a book of good advice, and in places it could contain the Word of God, but the Bible isn't the Word of God. The Bible's just a book like any, anything else. We got to kind of like read the good and spit out the bad. And this still takes place today. This, this, this heresy still takes place today. Amy Carmichael, so this pastor, this pastor, um, I forgot his name, Stephen, Stephen Neal, was a believer and he held to this new teaching. So she refused to have him work with her. She, she wasn't okay with, okay, well, he can come and he can help and yeah, he'll give us some good advice and no, she wasn't okay with that. She was deeply committed to her theology and to her doctrine, so much so that, she, so that she wasn't willing to have this man come in and spread his error. And as I think about that, and I think of, of today where we find ourselves, the shape of godliness with obedience to Scripture and obedience to the Word of God, obedience to Christ, puts truth before consequences. The shape of godliness, obedience to Christ, puts truth before consequences. There are many churches today that see the consequences, so they do away with the truth. There are many churches in our, in, in New England is full of them. Many churches today who see the changing culture in the world around us and sin creeping in, and really it's not even creeping in anymore, it's taking over our culture, and instead of standing on truth and facing the consequences, they're giving in to the culture. They're giving in to the sin of the culture. The shape of godliness puts truth before consequences. Well, if we just give in, we could, we could have more people come. 
if we just put the truths that we've stood for so long and that men and women have died for aside, if we stop saying that marriage is between a man and a woman, if we stop talking about sin, if we stop talking about, about people having premarital sex, if we stop talking about whatever specific sin it is, then more people will come. More people will be attracted here. The shape of godliness puts truth before consequences. And as we continue into this century, may we remember that truth, that the shape of godliness puts truth before consequences. So not only do we see a life shaped by love for Christ, a life shaped by obedience to Christ, but we see a view of people in line with the Bible. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. This is Jesus. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Amy Carmichael saw people as the Bible sees them, without hope and without God. In 1910, the World Missionary Conference was supposed to be this high mark of world missions. Mary Slessor, she's another amazing missionary woman who, who, you, should, who you should read about. Another, like, Amy Carmichael never got married. She was content living a single life, devoting all of her time to serving God. This woman, Mary Slessor, the same thing. She did something very similar to what Amy Carmichael did a little bit earlier in Africa. And so this, this missionary, Mary Slessor, she goes to this conference. And at the end of the conference, she remarked, Where are the men? Are there no heroes in the making among us? No hearts beating high with the enthusiasm of the gospel? Men smile today at the old-fashioned idea of sin and hell and broken law and perishing worlds. But these ideas made men, men of purpose, of power and achievement, and self-denying devotion to the highest ideals earth has known. Are we seeing people the way that God sees them, the way that scripture views them? As we look around us and we see the community and we see our neighbors, are we seeing them as people lost and on their way to spend a Christless eternity in hell. If you remember, I think it was two winters ago, we did, um, we did the, uh, the study, Christianity Explored. Do you remember that on Wednesday nights? Anybody remember that? Rico Tice, he was the British guy, the videos. Yeah, Travis like, oh yeah, the British guy. Yeah, yeah. So those videos were very, like, early 2000s, and you probably remember that, Right? I was at a conference, the conference, the music conference I go to every year in Nashville, and Rico Tice was there. And he's exactly the same in person as he is on those videos. I think he's just an awkward dude. But God has used him greatly in the world of evangelism. I mean, incredibly. And so I heard him speak at this conference, and he, he said this. Your mission field is where you live. 
You know, obviously, God has not called everybody to foreign missions to, like, actively go. And if he hasn't called you to actively go, or if he has called you to actively go, your mission field is where you live. It's your neighborhood. When you look at your street, don't look at this as, this is the street that I live on. These are my neighbors. Look at it like this. God has placed me around all of these people who need to hear the gospel. This is my mission field. He was telling the story. I, I, wild guy, right? He's, he's in America, in Nashville. His wife and, and kids are home moving. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'm not sure if I'll be married when I go home. He's like, they're home moving. He's like, we've moved a lot in our lives. And every time we move, I remind my children, these aren't your neighbors. These are your mission fields. He said, and I was trying to find the, the, one of the exact statements he made, and I, I didn't write it down, but it, was, it, it affected me. And he said, I look at these people as if they've never heard the gospel. And as we continue into the 21st century, it's very likely that we will come across people, many people, who have never heard the gospel, even in our own neighborhoods. We're put there as their light. We are put there as their witness. Do we have a view of people that's in line with the scripture? The challenge is the motive. Actually, does anybody have an extra handout? I didn't, there's a poem I'm going to read. I put it on your handout. I'm just going to borrow yours. I'll give it back. And I didn't put it on my handout, foolishly enough. Amy Carmichael wrote this poem. It's called No Scar. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound, no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die in rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can we have followed far who has no wound or scar? In the later part of her life, she wrote that as she reflected on the work that God had done in her life. The challenge we have today is the motive. Why are we serving? Why is mission so important? Is our life shaped by love for and an obedience to Christ? Do we view people as the Bible shows us? How will our lives count in eternity? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the faithful example and testimony and life of Amy Carmichael. I pray that we would be challenged today to serve with the right motives. Lord, help us to have a deepening, a growing, and a strengthened love for you. Help us to live in obedience to your word.
to hold fast to the truth no matter the consequences. Give us the courage and boldness to do so. And God, we pray that you would help us to see people, our neighbors, those around us, as you see them. As people lost and dying and on their way to hell. Burden us with their souls. In Jesus' name. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.